Good afternoon, London. I am not Mike Stubbs. No, there is some <laughs> deceitfulness in that intro today. <laughs> I am, of course, Jess Brady, the guest host for the week. Mike's on vacation, getting some R&R that's very well deserved. Not sure what he's up to. Maybe he'll be laying in a hammock somewhere. Maybe he's in his backyard. Who knows? He could be on a trip. Anything is possible. Mike is a man of mystery when he's on vacation. <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's out and about, though. I'm sure he's enjoying himself immensely, as he should. It is a beautiful day in London. We've got beautiful blue skies out there. It's looking like it's very comfortable. We talked a lot about the heat yesterday. Thankfully, we don't have that issue today either. It's it's pretty comfortable out there, I think, which is which is good. I'm enjoying that. It's nice to go out the door at home and uh, in the mornings, go to my car and, and not be already drenched in uh, moisture from <laughs> the elements because that's just a pain. Any Anyone who styles their hair in the morning and has, you know, hair that's prone to frizz or has wave in it, you know, it's it's such an annoyance when you spend some time working on it and you go out the door and poof, literally poof because your hair <laughs> frizzes up and it's like, okay, well, what was the point of that? Why did I even bother? Anyway, luckily, yesterday and today, not the case. And I'm sure all of my uh, cohorts out there who have to style their hair and worry about frizz, they're happy about it too. So it's been a big day in uh, London and area news, I suppose. We had a we had a big uh, political figure that was in the region for an announcement. The, uh, the old premier there, Doug Ford, he was up in Lucan. And uh, joining me off the top of the show to talk about this appearance and a little bit about what he covered in this. It was a bit of a wide-ranging uh, newser that he had. He was there for one specific purpose, uh, which we're going to get into in one second, but... There were a couple of topics that were discussed. In fact, and joining me in studio to discuss this is the ace reporter, Andrew Graham. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, taking some time to chat with us about what the uh, what the appearance from the premier was all about this morning up in Lucan. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this really was all based on internet and cell phone service for rural and remote communities. And it's funny we were discussing this at the event because I went there and I had bad signal, surprisingly. <laughs> so I guess it kind of shows a need for yeah. a better service in Lucan. But the, the, the province announced a uh, $315 million investment over the next five years, which is supposed to help bring, uh, again, improved internet service, cell phone service to these often less serviced parts of Ontario. So yeah. think places like Lucan, um, other small towns near Ontario or just maybe northern Ontario, eastern Ontario. So again, just bring them better service, better cell phone service, internet service, all those stuff along those lines. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because you mentioned that joke about <laughs> connectivity there. <laughs> uh, we made the same joke here in the newsroom. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, when you sent us a message and said, uh, "I can't, I can't, I don't have any service on yeah. <laughs> on the other cell right now," so we thought, well, this is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, that was the main reason that the premier was there. But there were other topics that were also discussed, and you yourself had a chance to ask the premier a question, and it has to do with a story that we're going to talk about a lot this half hour. This is kind of what we're devoting most of our time to off the top of the show, uh, Amber Alerts, uh, because we, we've we had a few in the last little while. And once again, people are complaining about them. And it's like, guys, we've been over this. Uh, we should not be complaining about the Amber Alerts. They're for a very serious reason. Like the tornado warnings. I'd, I'm not sure if anybody got them for the tornado warnings this time around over the weekend. I didn't receive one. Um, but obviously, we've had um, the 
for different reasons, but it's the same tone, the emergency tone. Uh, but there's a woman here in Ontario who started a petition on change.org uh, to have fines for people who call in to 911 to complain about the Amber Alerts. And so you had a chance to ask a question during the newser today up in Lucan, and it was related to this. And we're going to listen to your question, Andrew. Uh, good morning, Premier Hi. Ford. Uh, Andrew Graham of Global News in London. Um, Hi, just speaking of cell phones, there's a, a petition circulating online that looks to, uh, it wants to ask to implement fines for people who call 911 to complain about Amber Alerts. I was wondering if you heard about that or if you had any opinion. I haven't, I haven't heard about it. They're complaining about Amber Alerts? No, 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 no. They're, uh, they're looking to implement fines for people who call 911 to complain about Amber Alerts. Uh, it was circulating online. We had it on Global News this morning. Yeah, you know something, I haven't heard about that, but I, who would complain about an Amber Alert? You know, or, or I, I don't know, I think they're great. You know, it's, uh, it's absolutely essential we have Amber Alerts, especially when children go missing. It's critical, but I'll, I'll look into that story for you. Okay, so the premier, he's on it. He's on the case. <laughs> he he's hadn't, on the case. He hadn't heard about uh, the complaints, which is surprising because it's been a pretty, I mean, he is, he's a busy dude. I know. <laughs> he yeah. is, he is, but then also, he his cell phone, apparently, he had to cancel his plan because he was getting too many calls. Yeah, it was interesting. So maybe he doesn't get it because of that. It was interesting. And I, I swear, every time there's an Amber Alert, I mean, we're always expecting the tweets um, yeah. of people complaining and then people replying to the people complaining. And there's always a radio segment. So it's just something I feel that's become the norm now. Yeah. Obviously, it shouldn't be. I mean, complaints about Amber Alerts are I'm very against, obviously. But yeah. I just feel that's such a a mainstream thing to know. I feel like everyone knows that in Ontario that there's always people complaining about these Amber Alerts. No one knows why, but they yeah. complain every time. Yeah, it's true. And like, I, I just, I feel like they are startling, but that's for a good reason. Like they're meant to be startling. So, I mean, they've woken me up in the middle of the night when they've come through and, and I'm I'm an anxious or jumpy person anyway. So like someone just walking up behind me, I'm like, like <laughs> it can scare me. Uh, so these tones, they are uh, rather intense sounding, but like I will absolutely take that 10 out of 10 times and know that a message of real importance is getting out there uh, than not getting a message and, and potentially missing out on really important information. So it's like, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see if the government will kind of take up this cause because, uh, you know, they seem to take up. Uh, interesting causes all the time. About, and, and again, yeah. we should highlight, I mean, this this uh, petition's already amassed more than 60,000 signatures. Yeah. Their goal is 75,000. I think they will reach that goal. Yeah. So, and again, such a popular cause for people to get behind. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. So. And we're going to talk about that more uh, coming up after this this break because uh, I've got some, some clips from the woman who is behind this petition and she's uh, making waves. She's on uh, different shows all across the country. She was on with our colleagues in Vancouver, Drex, on uh, on. 980 out in Vancouver. They have the same the same call numbers as us. It's it's, it's weird sometimes. We're like, ooh. Um, and also she was on with Charles Adler, another of our chorus colleagues on the Global News Radio Network. Um, so we're going to play some of her, her, her clips that kind of explain her rationale for why she's uh, pushing this. And it really has taken off, as you said, Andrew. We'll get into that specifically uh, more coming after this break on 980 CFPL on London Live. Welcome back to the program. It's Jess Brady here, guest host for the week. Mike is on vacation, as you just heard him talking about in his My Pillow commercial. <laughs> 
So we were talking about Amber Alerts before the break. We had uh, our fantastic 980 CFPL reporter, Andrew Graham, who was in with us talking about this um, news conference this morning up in Lucan that the Premier was at. He was talking about a, a bunch of different things, but uh, he was asked by Andrew about the complaints about Amber Alerts and also a petition that's been started by an Ontario woman uh, to make it so that it's we're able to be fined for people who are calling 911 to complain about the alerts. Now, by this time, there have been a few that have gone out since uh, the alerts began earlier this year. And the tone that comes through on, on cell phones and on our TVs also uh, to alert of emergencies, specifically Amber Alerts as well, it is it is jarring. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. That noise is is a bit scary. Uh, and it's, it's certainly... Um, you know, going to grab your attention. But that is the absolute reason why they were made that way, because they are supposed to be alerting us to emergency situations that we could either uh, be impacted by physically, personally in that moment, like, say, an extreme weather event or in a case of an Amber Alert where you could help literally be helping in an investigation if you have the proper information and officers across the province when they've been using this uh, system, once the Amber Alerts are over and they've, uh, you know, had the information that they need one way or the other, they have said in the last few cases, hey, guess what? Our our ending of this case, you know, our finding the kids involved or the people involved who are missing has become as a direct result of those Amber Alerts. So they're doing their best to show that, yes, this tone is jarring, and yeah, it's going to disrupt your day for a few minutes when you hear it, uh, but literally it pays off. Like We are literally getting information from people who have heard the Amber Alert, who have the information pop up on their phone of who people are looking for, the officers are looking for, missing child, missing people. And they're using that information. They're spotting the individuals involved. They're calling police and police are able to get those people home safely in most cases. So it honestly, they're trying really hard to make it understood why they need to be doing this. But still, and yet, people persist online complaining about the tones. And some people are actually calling 911 to complain about it. So not only is that like a jerk move, (laughs) just in general, like that you don't understand the purpose of these alerts, but also you are tying up critical resources. Our 911 operators are not there to just have a chat with you. They are the they are frontline responders. The difference between life and death in a lot of cases are like and I just I feel silly harping on this because we should know this by now. But like, you know, we get we get news releases in in into uh our newsroom all the time about people calling 911 about raccoons and things like that just like nonsense complaints it's like there's a reason we have non-emergency numbers for our law enforcement officers where you can call with a question or a concern or whatever but it's not a life and death emergency or you know something that needs an immediate response we should not be tying up our 911 lines with this kind of nonsense it is ridiculous so This petition that's been started through change.org, it has, as Andrew mentioned, let's see, I'm looking at it right now, and every second, I kid you not, almost every second, the ticker goes up and another signature has been added. Right now, they're at 66,827 signatures. Oh, 28. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they're hoping to get to 75,000. And I, I honestly don't know why of any reason it won't get to 75,000. It'll probably very much exceed that number. Uh, because thankfully, there are a lot of people in this province who get that this is important and we should not be, uh, you know, complaining and tying up our phone lines, our 911 lines for for these types of complaints. It's ridiculous. So the petition is calling for fines uh, for people who are calling in to complain about this sort of stuff. And I, I think that's bang on. If someone's going to do something that's so obviously ridiculous and stupid and a menace to public safety because other people can't get in touch with 911 operators when they need to, they should have consequences for that. I see no problem with that at all. Now, we tried to get in touch uh, with the woman behind this petition, Dahlia Monticelli. Uh, she's a real busy lady right now. She's She's uh, been talking to media like from coast to coast uh, about this petition. And it's a great idea. And, I, and I, I don't blame her whatsoever for coming up with it. But she had a chance to speak with our colleagues out in Vancouver on, uh, on Drex, on his show. And there are a few clips um, that we've isolated from her interview with him. And uh, producer Matt McInnes is going gonna, is gonna to play the first one for us right now. I've also been, you know, reading about all these complainers and like people calling 911 because they were woken up and, um, you know, I was obviously outraged by all this. I think it's, uh, it's just a shame and it really makes me feel like I have no faith in humanity. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's it's nuts. Now, Dahlia has said in these interviews that, you know, she herself is a mother and she's very passionate about the Amber Alerts. And uh, she also had had this to say about the process. It just keeps going. It, it doesn't stop. It's almost every minute um, somebody's signing up. So I'm really, really hopeful. And I really, really hope something is going to be changed. Um, find something. This has to stop. This could cost lives. Um, and uh it's absolutely a shame because those are children we're talking about. Yeah. No, she's totally right. And, uh, you know, she's talking that every second there are more people signing up. Here's here's an update on the total. We've jumped 10 signatures in the time that I first gave you the first total, like 66,830 or no, it was 28. We're now at 66,838. Uh, so people, there's a lot of support for this. And I'm not surprised. It's a no brainer. Like if you do this. Come on, there should be consequences for it. It's it's just like, seriously, I don't understand how anyone can be that motivated, that annoyed by something to call 911. Like, really? Really? You don't have something better to do with your day? <laughs> like, there's so much more to do in the span of a day than call 911 for a nonsense complaint when this is a life and death situation for people. And, you know, as I said, Dahlia is a, is a mom and she's mentioned that, you know, as a mother, like you can't imagine something like that happening to a child. I'll go on the record and say as someone who has no children, uh, I can't imagine doing something like that, calling in over something so ridiculous because no one wants to see anybody who's vulnerable, a child, a senior, anybody. No one wants to see them put in harm's way. And if you have a heart and you have a brain, you should know that. These systems are there for a reason, and you can be privately annoyed that the the alert went off, but it takes someone re- really interesting. I don't know what's going on with them to think that they need to sound off to 911. These people have better things to do than take your silly calls about an Amber Alert when you're not calling in with information that can help solve the situation. Like, come on. So I don't know. Like, maybe... <laughs> 
I, I don't I don't even think that setting up like a hotline <laughs> for complaints about the Amber Alert is a good idea necessarily because people should just do better, be better. <laughs> don't don't complain about this sort of thing. I don't understand it. I, I get that in some cases when the alert comes on TV. People have had a really hard time turning it off. Like they're cool with getting the alert, but they would like to be able to turn it off once they have the information. That I can understand there being a frustration, but certainly not to the level of calling in to complain about it to 911. That's still ridiculous. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe there needs to be a little bit more care taken to explain if you've got a gripe with this system, call this number. Don't call the people who are doing the frontline work of trying to save people and keep others safe. Like, just don't do that. Don't be that guy. In terms of how they might accomplish doing fines, I I've myself would think that it would be similar to uh, fining people who make nuisance calls, like fake calls in general to 911. It doesn't happen a ton. We don't hear about it a ton unless it's like in a really egregious case where someone's a serial caller. Um, but, you know, like there are often... PSAs put out by police departments, OPP, uh, not so much London police. I don't think we've seen one from them in a while. Uh, but the OPP certainly went through um, a blitz, an information blitz a little while ago about the need to limit pocket dials. Or if you do accidentally make a pocket dial, stay on the line so that the operator can make sure that everything is fine, that there is no actual emergency. Um, but yeah, like I, I just think that it would probably be accomplished in the same way if you were going to find people for making complaints to 911 because it's a nuisance and it's it's endangering lives. So I would bet that it could be the same sort of charge. Again, I'm no expert. I'm not a not a legal legal by any time, any any, I guess, stretch of the imagination is the phrase I'm looking for. But I think that it should be similar in my head. I don't understand why we couldn't do that. So I'm with Dahlia. I think it's a great idea. Let's see some action here because really and truly, often the way to get people to modify their behavior, sadly, is to make them look at the impact on their wallets. I mean, it won't get everybody. I mean, some people will still continue to call and complain about this when they should not. Because, I mean, look, at we have fines for tons of other bad behavior out there in our society and people still do it. Um, but they might learn after they've been told off and and given a fine. You might stop. It might not stop a first offense, but it would hopefully stop a second. I just feel like, you know what, enough is enough. And sometimes you got to take a stand. You have to call people out on their really bad behavior. I just am amazed that it's reached this point that people are not getting this message. Because as as I've seen this argument posted out there, if it was your loved one who was missing, wouldn't you want to move heaven and earth? Wouldn't you want to know that cell phones all across the area, even if they might not be able to be directly helpful, they're aware of it. The, the the tone is going out there so that people know there's an emergency and everyone is doing what they can to help. I just, you know, think of other people. Don't just think of yourself. I, I don't know why we even have to say this, but it's it's pretty brutal when we get to this point and it takes a petition like to make people start to really like, come on. Uh, update. 66,907 have signed it. This is good. I like this. Maybe throughout the show, <laughs> we can check in and see how many people have uh, signed up. Oh, 912. This is great. I love this. And it must be very satisfying for Dahlia to see all these signatures rolling in. I love it. It's really, really good. Okay. So now that I have yacked at length about this, I, you clearly know my position. Bring on the fines. I think it's a great idea. If you're going to be that dumb, 
you might as well be penalized for it. And maybe the money goes into the Amber Alert Fund, helping, you know, or other other victims of, you know, we have, there is a fund in Ontario that goes to help uh, victims of crime. And hopefully that is what the money could go towards or sustaining the system, doing that sort of thing. I think that would be a very productive way <laughs> to turn around idiocy. So we need to take a quick break, but I, I want to hear from you on this. Would you support fines? I feel like most people probably would. I want to hear from you. Call me, 519-643-2222. It's 519-643-2222. That's if you're out of town and want to give us a call so you don't get charged long distance. You can also email me, jess at 980cfpl.ca. J-E-S-S, not Jeff. <laughs> that happens sometimes. People think that my name is Jeff. And then I'm like, man, I got to do better with enunciating. You can also tweet at me. My handle is JessBrady980. Okay? All right. We're going to go for news. Uh, when we come back, I want to hear your calls. I want to hear if you are as fired up about this as I am. That's coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to your Tuesday afternoon edition of... London Live on 980 CFPL. I'm Jess Brady. I'm filling in for Mike, who's on vacation this week. When we left off before uh, the news, we were talking about a petition on change.org uh, by a lady from uh, Ontario. Her name is Dahlia Monticelli, and she is fed up with all the people who are calling into 911 to complain about Amber Alert tones going off on their phones and TVs and the rest of it. She says, enough is enough. I am sick of this. We should have fines for people who are doing this. And I agree with her. I have <laughs> talked at length about that in the last segment uh, in terms of uh, my support of that. And so I, I put it out to everyone, all the listeners, to give me a call and talk about whether they also feel this way. Uh, again, 519-643-2222 if you would like to chat. And we do have a caller on the line, and it's Ron. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good, thanks. How you How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. I wanted to first say I completely agree. If you call 911 without a legitimate emergency, you should be fined, and I believe that already is the law. My question that I would like to pose is why can't we use the tiered system like they use in the USA, where an ample alert would be, you know, pushed to your phone, but it wouldn't have the, uh, you know, the nuclear sirens that you hear, and they, it seems to work quite well down there. I don't think we should. You shouldn't call 911 to criticize criticize the system, but we should be able to talk about it openly yeah. without saying you automatically don't care about children, which seems to be how a lot of people approach this. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair a fair remark there, Ron. Um, I, I think, too, that like, you know, I, I would say that perhaps sometimes the criticisms of it maybe aren't uh, as clear as they as they could be. Maybe sometimes people aren't putting in the caveat of, I'm glad we have the Amber Alert. I'm glad we have uh, this system that alerts us, but let's let's modify it a bit. So sometimes I think it might just come across as this is the worst. It woke me up in the middle of the night and it's 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 stupid. You know, like people maybe just aren't, you know, put couching their criticism in a way that people understand as, yeah, this is good, but let's let's, let's modify it. So that was Ron's that was Ron's comment. And I think he raises some interesting questions. I think there's in any system there there is obviously room for improvement. You know, I don't I don't think it's a a bad thing to have those discussions, but you know, there there has to be some nuance and if you don't want people jumping all over you, 
be very careful of how you phrase things. And I think in general, that's a good life lesson. <laughs> really think before you, you speak or before you tweet. That's for sure. Because otherwise, people will jump all over you. And, you know, maybe there are some things that are just not worth criticizing in some fashions, you know? If you don't think you can express yourself properly in a medium of Twitter where it's a very, you know, contained character count, uh, then don't say anything if you can't express it properly, if you will. We did get a a tweet from Andy, who is a a loyal listener. Thanks, Andy, for tuning in. He says, I fully support the idea of fines. It's a misuse of 911 system and people aren't getting the message. So hit them where it hurts their wallets. Agreed. I think that is the smart thing to do. Because, like I said before, sadly, it's the case with a lot of things. You can't get people to change often out of their own goodwill, which is unfortunate. Uh, And when you can't do that, you got to hit them where it hurts. And often that is uh, their wallets and their pocketbooks. I don't know what that kind of a fine would be like, how much they would be, uh, you know, looking to, to charge people. But I'm sure it would have to be significant. Otherwise, it wouldn't be much of a deterrent, right? So... Also, in uh, Signature Update Land, we're at 67,022, 23, 24. Ooh. Maybe people are listening and <laughs> going to sign up. That ticker is moving at a very, very speedy pace. I will say that. I bet you that by the time the show is over, they'll have hit 70,000. Maybe that's overstating it. Maybe that's too big of an estimate. I'm not sure, but I'm watching it. I'm keeping an eye on the ticker on change.org for this petition because, you know what, it's just something that a lot of people can identify with. Ron, I I hear his point absolutely. Like, you should be able, we should be able to have a conversation about the effectiveness of certain systems and and how it's done. But I think the whole point is, is really to get people's attention. And the tone is scary. Like, I can't tell you the number of times I have gasped and been quite afraid when that tone goes off. But I also am like, okay, it is it's there for a purpose. Sometimes it actually goes off when we're newscasting and we have no control over it. The system just like takes over and the, the tone goes out. We have no warning. So I could be yakking away about a I could be yakking away about Brexit, perhaps, and <laughs> Boris Johnson being the new prime minister of uh, of of the UK. Um and then all of a sudden the it will have dead air. And the, the tone will go. And it is frightening. It absolutely is. But it, that that is in itself its purpose. It's to grab your attention. And uh, yeah. So I just feel like maybe we need to set up an Amber Alert hotline for suggestions on how to improve the system so that we're not tying up the life-saving line that really, really needs to be kept open. Like there's just no way around it. So I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, the premier... He heard the question from 980 CFPL's Andrew Graham this morning up in Lucan when he was making that uh, making his his announcement about telecommunication improvements. And it's very on point. It's very much very much on on theme telecommunications. You know, so maybe the government will will take a look at doing this. They'll take a break from beer store stuff (laughs) and look at the Amber Alert system and make sure that we're using that to the best of our abilities. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. We uh are going to talk about Oregon when we come back. Yes, Oregon. And this new initiative that's coming up uh, where teens, like kids in high school, students in general, I suppose, will be able to take mental health days off from school, like a sick day, but specifically mental health. Um, and it's it's being recognized now as a legit need for a day off. So I had a chance to chat with... Uh, CMHA, Canadian Mental Health Association, Middlesex, and uh, they're going to join us to talk more about this new initiative coming up on 980 CFPL.
Lies. It's Jess Brady. <laughs> I'm your guest host this week. Mike is on vacation, getting some well-deserved R&R. So I'm swapping in for him. They let me sit on the other side of the booth for this week. Usually I'm on the other side where producer extraordinaire Matt McInnes is currently sitting. I uh, usually anchor the morning news with Jake Jeffrey. Put it together. Read it. It's a good time. But this is uh, always fun to step into the other side and uh, do a little bit more chit-chat that's not scripted. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you guys and uh, all the listeners and and getting some interactions, which is fun. Hearing from all the regulars that call in for uh, Craig and for Mike on the the usual shows. I've heard from Marilyn, heard from Ron. I think I heard from Richard last last time I was filling in a few weeks ago. That's always fun to to chat with the people who kind of feel like (laughs) local celebrities to us in the newsroom because we talk with them frequently. So we feel like we know them. So it's neat when I get to chat with them, too. Like, ooh. Marilyn called me. Woo, Ron called. It's great. So before the break, I was talking about uh, this new development in Oregon where students will be able to take mental health days thanks to teen activists, which is really neat. So essentially, we've all heard of sick days. We get them at at work, too. Uh, So when you're feeling under the weather or if you're injured, you can take some time off. But this new initiative in Oregon, which has been approved and passed, Kids will be able to have days off specifically when they need to attend to their mental health, which I think is is pretty cool. Now, there have been some reactions to it that, uh, you know, there some critics say that it's oh, coddling kids and things like that. But thankfully, there are more people who are reacting positively to it as seeing it as an advancement. Quite honestly, it's the first of its kind uh, in the U.S. to be doing this, the first jurisdiction to do it, which is neat. So this is from USA Today. Uh, The students behind the measure say it's meant to change the stigma around mental health in a state that has some of the United States' highest suicide rates. Mental health experts say it's one of the first state laws to explicitly instruct schools to treat mental health and physical health equally. And it comes at a time educators are increasingly considering the emotional health of students. Utah passed a similar law last year. So to talk a little bit about the impact of this and get their reaction to it. I have a fantastic discussion with Lori Hassel. She's the Director of Crisis Services and Short-Term Interventions with the Canadian Mental Health Association Middlesex here in town. Lori, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon to talk about this interesting story out of Oregon. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's an interesting story to hear about how uh, the the officials, the powers that be in Oregon, have now you know recognized mental health in teens in a very different way, and and they're they're moving forward with this idea that uh, kids should be able to take a day off if they need to in order to you know protect their own their own mental health and and just check in with themselves. What was your reaction to hearing about this? Well, I'm actually really excited about it. I, um, I think that this helps to reduce stigma. Uh, I think the more that we, you know, we equate mental health with physical health, so nobody would um, kind of question if somebody broke a, you know, broke a limb and had to go to the hospital and get that treated, that they may need to miss school or if someone was sick from the flu. Uh, so I think we need to look at mental health the same way. And uh, if we do that, then uh, youth are going to be more comfortable talking about uh, any me- mental health struggles they may be facing. 
Yeah, I think it's I, I think that's a really good point about being more comfortable opening up the lines of communication about these sorts of things. Uh, in the article that I read about this, uh, there was um, a parent, a family that talked about how their own uh, young young teen uh, tragically died by suicide, uh, like earlier in, in the year before this came into effect. Yeah. And they said, you know what, if we had had a measure like this, perhaps our daughter would still be here because she instead, you know, when she was feeling too overwhelmed to go to school she said it was a physical ailment and it didn't give them a chance to talk about what was going on emotionally and mental health wise for her yeah absolutely and we and we don't want to put our kids in the position of having to lie about what they're experiencing um, and and I think that probably happens quite a bit where um, students may be feeling overwhelmed uh, may be feeling having symptoms of depression or anxiety but uh, may verbalize it that they have a headache or a stomach ache or something like that which may be going along with some of these other mental health um, symptoms but uh, they may not be disclosing those uh, mental health struggles are having. So I think it's really good because it, it does open that door to conversations um, so that family members are aware and uh, they can support their loved ones um, in getting help. And so the school community is also looked at as a, su- a supportive place that um, understands that mental health is important. Absolutely. And there were some criticisms, I guess, uh, that people thought, oh, what if kids kind of abuse this or it's a way that they think that they'll slack off with it. But in my mind, I don't think people would lie about that because there is still a stigma, even though we're working forward towards getting rid of that. Thank goodness. Uh, But it's not something that people would really joke about, I don't think. I, I agree with you. Um, yes, is it possible that somebody could? Yes, maybe they maybe they would. Um, but I think that would be more the exception than the rule. And if it means that a lot of youth that are actually having some struggles with their mental health um, are able to get validation and, and acceptance of that and support of that, then I think that is that is a good thing. And that's what we should be focusing on. I think it also speaks to, uh, you know, as we've been talking about this changing of uh, how society views this. And I even think within the younger generations that are coming up, there's a real different way that they view this. Like I follow an account called Humans of New York on um, oh, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. I follow <laughs> that too. Yeah, it's great. I'm not sure if you saw this this post specifically. I think it was out of Toronto or Montreal. I'm not sure uh, because the the guy behind it, he travels and he, he takes pictures of people all over the place. Yeah. Um, but there was a young young teen I would imagine or like in his mid-teens and he talked about how he's had struggles and he had an outburst one day uh, when he just couldn't take it anymore and he he kind of you know lost his temper and he took a day off like he went back to school he had a conversation with the administrators and then he came back after after seeking out some some treatment I think uh, and his his student colleagues if you will his fellow students a few of them came up to him and said hey how are you doing I was worried about you they didn't you know, I'm not sure how many did, but at least several, you know, took the time out of their day to to speak to him and say, how are you doing? We were worried. Uh, are you feeling better? So I feel like that would not have happened even when I was in high school, I don't think. Uh, you know what? I, I agree, and I think that is wonderful, and it's interesting. So I work out of the Crisis Centre, which is at 648 here, on, here in London, and um, it's 24-7 walk-in, so you don't have to have an appointment. And we actually see a lot of youth here. So about 34% of the people that come through our doors are between the ages of 16 and 24, and we even see folks younger than that coming in. And one of the things um, that really... Um, 
you know, uh, warms my heart is that uh, we often see youth coming in with their friends. So their friends are seeing uh, that you know uh, that their friend is struggling, that they're feeling overwhelmed, that they're having, they're feeling anxious, they're feeling really sad, and they're helping them, supporting them to come and get help. And I, I think that's just amazing. And, and I think you're right. Maybe a, a generation back, we didn't see that as much because people weren't as aware. As aware, um, they weren't talking about it. But youth are talking about mental health, and uh, they are recognizing that it's important, and, and they're talking to their friends about it and um, and advocating for services. And I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. And, you know, it's at a time when kids are growing up, they are faced with enough pressures just by that fact alone that it's a tough time, uh, you know, as, as they're getting older into those teen years. But then you add in all sorts of different pressures now that kids have that they didn't used to have. And uh, this understanding is even more critical, right? I mean, I, I think of we all have days where we would rather be at home where we have to go out and, you know, go out to work or go to school or if you're older or yeah. in like post-secondary, what have you. Um, and and it can be really tough when you just don't feel yourself if you're going through something. Um, but yeah, like to have this option for them at a time that's even more stressful for kids as they're growing up, I think it's a really good thing. Oh, for sure. And we, we know that sadly suicide is the a, is a second leading cause of death for youth between the ages of 15 and 24. And we don't want any youth to feel hopeless. And any way that we can to open doors so that youth can um, share that they're having struggles, share that they need some help. I, I think that's a good thing. Um, so I think by, by schools saying that it's okay to talk about this, um, it's okay to get support, it's sometimes you need a little bit of time off to attend to your mental health, that, that's, that, that's a good thing in my mind. All right. And then perhaps this is a silly question, but if, if someone were to put forward this idea locally uh, in Ontario or even at a more local level here for Thames Valley, um, what, do you, what do you think? Would you be supportive of, of seeing this come to fruition here? Oh, absolutely. And I think some of those conversations are, are happening on our campuses and happening uh, in our school boards as well. I know teachers are very, uh, um, you know, aware of uh, mental health issues and wanting students to get support. And so I, I think it would be good. I think if we saw this, um, you know, um, not just in, in one state, but if we saw it uh, in Canada as well and, and in other countries. Fantastic. Well, Lori, thank you so much for your time this afternoon and chatting about this uh, new development out of Oregon. It's a pleasure uh, to chat with you and, and get your perspective. Oh, you're most welcome. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Have a great day. You too. We need to take a quick break. When we're coming back, we're going to be chatting about <laughs> interesting real estate stories. I got an email this morning that I want to tell you about. That's coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the Tuesday afternoon edition of London Live on 980 CFPL. I'm Jess Brady, your guest host this week. Mike is on vacation. So <laughs> before the break, I told you that I wanted to tell you a little bit about an email that I got this morning. And it's going to be a real quick little anecdote because... We got news coming up real quick. So I got this email and uh, right away I knew that this was this was not for me, really, because it, it's from Leonard Luxury Real Estate. <laughs> OK. And the press release, as it calls itself, says for sale Dolce & Gabbana's stunning villa on the island of Stromboli. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, this was sent to a, a news station in London, Ontario, fellows at Leonard Luxury Real Estate. 
like we're not anywhere near that. How how is this of any interest to us? Come on. Also, we work in radio. We can't afford a luxury villa. Come on. We do this for the love of the game. For the love of the for the love of the radio. Yeah, I, I can't afford a villa. Are you kidding me? So I just I, I love it when news releases come out to us from far flung locations and it's like, ooh, talk about this villa. I've had invitations to opening nights to clubs or restaurants in LA. That's been popular in the last little while. Pretty funny. But I'll tell you a little bit about this. Uh on this villa, the villa of the famous designers Domenico Dolce and Stefano Gabbana on Stromboli, one of the most beautiful islands of the Aeolian archipelago in Sicily, is up for sale. You can reach the island by helicopter as well as by boat. <laughs> Come on. I can't. I mean, it sounds very cool. Would I like to visit it? Sure. Apparently, they've thrown many a party and many a luxury uh, event at that location over the years that they've spent there since the 1990s, apparently. They've been going to this villa in the summers. Well, it's funny because I, I got this email. I tweeted about it. thought, you know, I'm really not your clientele here, guys. Like, I can't help you, buds. I'm not going to help you sell this villa. And then our friends over on Country 104, Kyle and Kendra, they posted about a, a mansion here in Ontario that has an, a rink in it. And it's the most Canadian thing ever. It's from uh, Narcity, the uh, website. <laughs> so this, this uh, mansion... Canadian to the core, one homeowner in Erin has really given the Canada vibes 100% effort as he built an actual synthetic hockey rink in his basement. If this doesn't automatically make it the coolest house on the block, the Ontario home also features extra high 15-foot ceilings, a heated saltwater pool, and a 30 by 66-foot fenced-in sports pad. Awesome! Guess how much it is? 1.597 million. Woo! So if you've got some extra cash laying around and you want a mansion with a, a nice rink that's not so cool because it's it's synthetic ice. You can you can buy that up in Aaron. Anyway, gotta go for news. Uh, coming up after the break, talking money still, uh, it's about how much weddings, being a guest at a wedding can cost. We'll talk about that coming up on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. It's Jess Brady here. I'm your guest host this week. Mike is on vacation, getting some well-deserved R&R, rest and relaxation. So before the break, I mentioned we're talking about a little something about weddings. And I feel like I have become over the last couple of years, but this year especially, uh, a bit of a wedding aficionado. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't give myself that title. Perhaps not. Maybe I should just say that I am a very busy wedding uh, guest. (laughs) This summer, I have three weddings uh, that I'm going to. uh, The first of which is coming up this weekend. My uh, very good friends, Sammy and Casey, getting hitched. It's going to be great. We're going to very, very excited. I am a co-MC for it. It should be fun. A really good time. They are lovely people and I'm very excited for them. Uh, but yeah, my best friend got married three years ago and I was uh, I'm very honored to be her maid of honor in that. So I feel like I've been involved in a lot of planning uh, for different events, seeing people put together bachelorettes and showers and having done a lot of that myself. Um, it's yeah, it is a big process. Weddings in general. For the couple and the families directly involved, very, very expensive. But often, just being a guest at a wedding can be expensive too. And it turns out, uh, we're, we as guests are spending quite a bit on our, ga- our gifts and and things of that nature. And joining me on the line right now to talk more about this and just how much we are spending is Graziella Mitri. She's a brand specialist with eBates.ca. Graziella, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Thanks so much for having me, Jess. 
So tell me a little bit about uh, some of the stats that Ebates has uh, put together here. We're talking about uh, the average amount that we're spending on gifts. It's, it's quite hefty, isn't it? Yeah, so the amount that Canadians are spending on average on wedding gifts is $145. Now, to compare that to birthday, which is the second most popular, or sorry, the second most expensive gift-giving season, birthdays, Canadians are spending an average of $95, so a huge difference between those two occasions. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think, too, there's a, like a lot of pressure with weddings in terms of what to get, um, because it, it's it's one of those massive life moments. Like sometimes you have, uh, obviously, a milestone birthday, say if someone's turning 30 or 50 mm-hmm. or what have you. But a wedding, this is a big deal. And, and often, like there are registries that have, you know, suggested items that the bride and groom or the couple in general, the bride and bride, the groom and groom, what have you, mm-hmm. who, who the couple that's getting married that they're interested in. Um, but sometimes others, you know, you give cash and sometimes it's it's a bit pressure because you want to get something nice uh, but also you don't want to really break the bank that's exactly it there's a lot of pressure associated to it and a lot of like taboos that come with wedding gifts gifts should you bring cash should you bring a gift and like how much should you spend I know for us what we saw after we got married is that we ended up spending more we spend more on wedding gifts now after getting married after seeing the cost that goes into it and that's actually a trend that we saw in our poll so married Canadians spend $161, while single Canadians spend $121. That's really interesting. And I also wonder, um, and I, I very much appreciate your point of, of being you know, on the other side of it, where you've gone through it and you've planned it. Uh, so you know exactly how much money goes into each plate you know, to have that person there. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of cash. But I also wonder if you're combining, like if you're a married couple or uh, mm-hmm. even like just partners, like seriously together, whatever, you're going in on a, on a gift, it's easy to spend a little bit more because you've got two incomes potentially to rely on. That's exactly it. Yeah. So that's an, another factor too, that with the two incomes, you, you might want to be a little bit generous as well. Yeah. And it's you looked at also at the age breakdown too, mm-hmm. eh? of, of who's spending more in terms of the, the demographic they're in. Correct. So under 35, uh, they're spending $123. Between the ages of 35 to 44, this is the most that's being spent at 171, which I think you're at that age, you're pretty much well established in your job and, and you might be making a, a more generous income. And then over 45, it's $148. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's really neat to see how these trends are breaking down. It's uh, it's it's surprisingly a political thing. It's controversial, like you said. There are some taboos, so it's mm-hmm. it's neat to see how it's working out. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we're seeing in general is that Canadians are very generous when it comes uh, to wedding gifts, whether they're under thirty five or over forty five, or men or women. A lot of Canadians are very generous when it comes to wedding gifts. And I think, like you said, when it comes to a wedding, that's a monumental occasion. Birthdays happen every year. Hopefully with the wedding, you're going to that person's wedding once. So it's something that you really want to spend on. Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of those, you know, uh, massive life moments. And uh, y- y- everyone, not that there's like a sense of competition, but who doesn't love it when your gift is, is yeah. good and odd over? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And especially if you're close to that person, you want to give them something that's meaningful and that you know that they'll love. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned uh, the difference between men and women. There mm-hmm. it seems to be there's there's a, a marked difference in those stats, too, eh? Yes. So Canadian men are spending $168 on average on a wedding gift, while Canadian women are spending $123. 
That's very interesting. I wonder, I wonder, now, I'm not. Uh, hopefully no, this is not a stereotype necessarily, yeah. but maybe the ladies out there are doing some bargain hunting. Maybe they're finding gifts that are worth more, but at the same time they, they found a sale. And so like it's 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 neat to do it that way maybe. Maybe they're they're buying something that's pricey, but they got a discount on it. Correct. I totally agree with you. Not to make any assumptions or anything like that, but I know for myself I like to I like to research for gifts early and try to find that best deal and try to get the most out of my money. There you go. It's funny. The stats are there, but sometimes there's there are reasons behind them. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> And it's funny, too, that uh, this this survey looked at uh, luxury gifts. So not just mm-hmm. like a normal gift for a wedding, we're more likely to shell out extra cash uh, for something that is, uh, you know, on the pricier side anyway. Yeah, so 27% of consumers are most likely to purchase a luxury gift for a wedding occasion. Now, on Ebates.ca, we actually have a luxury section on our website. And the great thing about that is when you purchase anything through our website, you earn cash back on your purchases. So it makes you feel a little bit better about purchasing something that's a little bit more expensive because you get a little treat for yourself in the form of cash back. Who doesn't like that? (laughs) Very good. Well, Graziella, thank you so much for your time uh, this afternoon and talking about these stats. I will certainly be keeping it all in mind as I move forward with all the the weddings that I have. I have three, like I mentioned. So it's, uh, it's, it's a busy summer for a lot of people. Yes. Well, happy wedding season to you and to everyone listening. (laughs) Thank you so much. You enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Take care. So that was Grazia Lamitri. She is a brand specialist at ebates.ca talking about... how much we're spending on wedding gifts. Yeah, it's it can be very pricey to be a guest at a wedding, even if like you're in town. Um, mostly, if you're in town, generally speaking, you don't have to worry about a hotel, things like that. So you you can knock that off your list. But if you're going to an event out of town, you've got travel costs and accommodation and then the gift on top. So it's, it is a pricey time. But, uh, you know, obviously everyone loves to be included in a celebration like this because it is uh, no greater honor in many respects than being by the side of uh, your friends as they embark on a major life event such as this. Very excited for everyone who's getting hitched over the course of uh, over the course of the next few weeks. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking about a story that is certainly raising eyebrows uh, across the city, and it has to do with online comments that are anti-LGBTQ in nature from a local business. We've got the story up on 980cfpl.ca. We're going to be talking to local New Democrat MPP Terrence Kernahan to get his thoughts on this. It is, uh, you know, a disappointing story that this is happening in this day and age, especially in a time of the Pride Festival that is underway right now. Pride London Festival doing a lot of uh, great events over the next, uh, you know, next week. The parade wraps uh, everything up on uh, Sunday. So when we come back after this break, we're going to we're going to be talking to Terrence Kernahan to kind of get his thoughts on this and the reaction and delve a little bit more deeply into this story because it's it's a big one. It's making headlines as it should, because uh, this is a story that needs attention and we need to deal with it. That's coming up on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. It's Jess Brady here, your guest host for the week. Mike is on vacation. And before the break, I teed up our next topic, our discussion. It's a a disappointing one. It reminds me of the Amber Alert discussion that we had earlier on, which I am going to circle back to in a little bit because I've had some responses online about uh, how you feel about the idea of fines in this petition. But um, back to the the new disappointing story that we're talking about. Uh, And it's up on our website, 980cfpl.ca. 
uh, has to do with a local business that posted online some upsetting, really, and disappointing comments. Just, you know, it's it's 2019. We're still here. This is this is bad. So it has to do with this this company called Laser in Motion. Uh, in our story, I'll, I'll read it. I'll read the first part of it to you. A London business that provides laser engravings has drawn the ire of hundreds after posting anti-LGBTQ2 remarks online. In a Facebook post on Monday, Laser in Motion wrote, quote, There is a specific group of people called LGBT that harasses our business with passion. The post continued, We are not the only one business that does engraving. Feel free to go to others who are LGBT. We fully support traditional heterosexual marriage. And if this is wrong, in your eyes. There is nothing that we can do about it. However, we have the right to express where our support is, end quote. (sighs) Very disappointing and upsetting. We're in the middle of Pride Week. Like, it's just... uh. So we've been covering this story from the beginning, uh, and you'll hear it again in the afternoon uh, news wheel here. But joining me on the line right now is Terrence Kernahan. He's the New Democrat MPP for London North Centre. Terrence, thank you so much for joining us on the program today to talk about this. Yes, thank you very much for having me, Jess. Now, I feel like often during Pride, especially, these types of stories come up. And I'm always disappointed. I cannot imagine how this type of uh, uh, action and discussion online impacts people who are of the LGBTQ2 community, that type of hurt that that they would feel, because this is a time where we're supposed to be celebrating coming together and acceptance and moving forward. And we're reminded of, of this kind of uh, just, I, there aren't really words to express how upsetting this is. No, absolutely. I mean, there's you know, there's no place in society for someone to share views such as these. You know, we think about children who might identify as LGBTQ and the impact it may have on them if they were to, to view such uh, poisonous statements such as these. I mean, this fellow uh, has is entitled to his own beliefs, but that doesn't mean that he needs to share share them. Yeah, it's it, it's brutal, and it also has like escalated since then in in our reports that we've been airing during our midday newscast. Here, the individual is kind of like doubling down, uh, you know, taking swipes at uh, the festival president Andrew Rosser. It's, it's as if the first initial stuff wasn't bad enough. Now it's like increasingly, uh, you know, vile. These things that are that are coming out. Well, definitely. You know, we see uh, the politics, you know, both south of us and and here with the province of Ontario. We've seen this sort of uh, providing oxygen towards divisiveness and hatred. I mean, we've we watched as the government rebuilt the 2015 health and phys ed curriculum and went back to the 1998 one. And while the government has never overtly said that uh, it was to remove LGBTQ voices from uh, Ontario's classrooms, that is the effect of what has happened. I mean, they effectively removed them from this curriculum and, you know, setting up a snitch line for teachers to, or for parents to tattle on teachers if they should discuss topics such as these, you know, down to, uh, you know, on the day of pink, the Minister of Education herself said, and I quote, uh, the words homophobia and transphobia don't exist in my vocabulary. And it really makes you wonder about the current state of, of our society when really uh, disturbing, divisive views like this are, are given oxygen. 
It's sad. And like I almost questioned, you know, reading out part of the statement that was posted. But I thought <laughs> we have to we have to put a name and, and, and like we have to talk about it directly, because if we don't, then we're not doing a service in calling out this behavior. Um, right. But yeah, in, in those comments, like saying those words aren't in my vocabulary. Well, they are in the vocabulary of a lot of people. So we need to make sure that we're at, like facing it head on. Absolutely. And, you know, the LGBTQ community, and especially uh, students and youth, are so much more prone to violence and aggression uh, among their peers. And so what we need to do is build a society where everyone is included. And, you know, human rights are not a situation where um, ensuring that the LGBTQ community has equal rights, that's not taking away the rights of other people. You know, it's not a a zero-sum game. Uh, but, you know, i got to say, I'm really pleased with the response from London. I mean, we see that London is, again, a really smart, accepting, progressive city because so many people do not identify with those views. I mean, this, this fellow who posted these comments, he is obviously part of a, you know, very uh, disturbing fringe minority. And I will take this opportunity to mention that uh, 980 CFPL is, has reached out to the to the owner of the business who's uh, made some comments on his personal page as well. We have the full story, like I said, on our website, 980cfpl.ca. Uh, we reached out to him. Uh, he replied in a text message that he would not be commenting further on the story. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, so we want to make sure everyone knows that we've we've been given the we've been giving the opportunity for fair comment here um right. but yeah it's it is it is upsetting now there was also uh, an angle to this story where it was discussed how the city like the laser in motion company had ended up providing some materials for um uh for a design urban design awards but like here's apparently we've learned the from uh, councillor Sean Lewis uh that it was a subcontracting situation so the company that oh, London okay. City Hall hired then went and hired laser in motion so it wasn't a direct decision from the city uh and right. so uh, C- councillor lewis has has tweeted about it uh and said that uh, it won't happen again in terms of laser in motions uh business through through that so that is also a little bit of an update to the story in general figured i would take this opportunity to share that there you go there you go you know <laughs> and it was uh, quite surprising to see the you know, sort of comments that the business owner made Inviting people, you know, to, to be someone who is, is looking for business and, and to go and invite uh, individuals from the community in, in a targeted way to invite them not to, to patronize his business. Well, you know, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting that uh, he no longer wants to comment. It seems as though the internal editor that, you know, he should have <laughs> has finally kicked in. And uh, maybe good sense and human decency has gotten the better of him, so he's decided to close his mouth. Well, uh, Terrence, I'll ask you: What do you think? Uh, will this will this galvanize support then as as the week rolls on? Because Pride London Festival is in full swing, uh, and the parade is on Sunday. Do you figure that this will will the support for LGBTQ two community will will carry on here? Well, absolutely. Because I mean, just take a look at the the online comments. I mean, there were so very few that would agree with with his sort of uh, his sort of behavior, and and yet there were far more uh, messages of love and support, and and really shocked that someone would have those sorts of views in 2019. So, really, I think this just goes to show you what a wonderful place London is, and how great Londoners are. Uh, again, that it is a city of culture, a city that is smart and progressive.
Well, Terrence, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on the show this afternoon and chat with us about this. We appreciate it and your perspective. Well, thank you very much for covering the story, and thank you for your time, Jess. You take care. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. So there you have it. I'm glad, uh, as as Terrence pointed out, that there's been a really overall strong response of, of positivity from the city in terms of fighting back against these views and expressing uh, extreme displeasure with them. So yeah, if you want the full story, it's on our website again, 980cfpl.ca, uh, fully fleshed out with lots of, uh, lots of just, you know, the posts are there and uh, the comments from local leadership. And uh, yeah, it's, it's disappointing that this is a story that, that is happening in general. But uh, I'm glad to see such a strong response from the community. That's for sure. Speaking of responses, I told you that uh, chat a little bit more about this. We've got some uh, online online replies to uh, the feelings about fines for 911 complainers about Amber Alerts. Uh, we had one from Justin who said, Not a fine, a court-required weekend seminar on the history of the importance of an Amber Alert. Cool. I like that. Education is, is power. I like it. I like it. Um, another individual wrote that their phones should be taken away for life. Cool. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I get it. I get it for sure. But I feel like, hmm, I still want them to get the Amber Alerts later and they won't get them if they don't have a phone. They'll have a TV, but still, you know, those are interesting responses. I like, I really like Justin's, the education aspect, because if they knew, really, truly understood, maybe that would make a difference in in how they feel when that, that buzzer goes off. Okay, need to take a quick break for news. We will be back on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the Tuesday afternoon edition of London Live. I am your guest host, Jess Brady. I'm in this week as Mike is on vacation. They let me over to the other side of the booth. Usually I'm in on the opposite shift, the mornings, and I'm reading the news. Now I'm talking about it from the other side of the glass. And producer extraordinaire Matt McInnes is on the other side manning the manning the board for me, which is fantastic. And I very much appreciate all of his fine efforts today. <laughs> so before the break, actually, I don't think I told you what we were going to be talking about after the break. So I'll just tell you now. The Chamber of Commerce for Ontario has issued a new report. And we have this story up on 980cfpl.ca. Our global news team has done this story up. I'll read you the first little part of it. It's interesting. It's looking at uh, making some changes and recommendations on changes to the way uh, alcohol is sold in the province. So Ontario's Chamber of Commerce says the province should expand online alcohol sales, cut taxes for some wine producers, and bolster efforts to curb social harms as it liberalizes booze laws. The Chamber makes the recommendations in a report about the future of beer, wine, cider, and spirit sales called Refreshing the Sale of Beverage Alcohol in Ontario. So to talk more about that report and really kind of get into the specifics of it and some of the suggestions from the chamber, I am uh, very pleased to say that we have Rocco Rossi on the line. He is the CEO for the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, busy gentleman, and he joins me now on the line. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show, Rocco. A great pleasure to uh, to be on with you and particularly talking to uh, 
the London market, which is such a, a center for uh, craft brewing as well as traditional brewers. That is absolutely true. We have a big market for that here in uh, in our region. You're bang on. And and so there's been a lot of discussion about the impact of uh, changes to alcohol regulations, uh, especially in this neck of the woods. Well, and and rightfully so. Unfortunately, in the in the past, and this has been governments of uh, of all stripes, uh, have tended to look at this file on a piecemeal basis, and you know we'll make regulations as as things evolve. And um, given that this government is is very interested in modernizing and providing more consumer choice and more opportunities for businesses, we thought it would be a good idea to put together. Our best thoughts, reach out to, um, uh, to our members across the province, take a look at what other jurisdictions are doing across the country and around the world, and, and, and try to do things in a holistic uh, manner to uh, reduce red tape and, and create the conditions for responsibly growing the, the domestic uh, industry here in, in, in Ontario, where already beverage alcohol represents a, a $10 billion industry that, that sends $5 billion in, uh, in taxes to the provincial uh, government uh, to help fund the great social programs we all uh, want for ourselves and our families. So let's talk a little bit then about uh, the report that um, the chamber has has put out in the last day or so, uh, specifically with those some of those recommendations. Let's start off with the the e-commerce side of things, expanding online alcohol sales. Uh, what's what's what does the chamber have in mind with that? Well, look at uh, in our everyday lives, we now bank uh, online. We do a lot of purchasing online, and the reality is. Um, regardless of the retail uh, outlet, you simply don't have enough shelf space um, to give a presence to, uh, to every brand that would like to, uh, to sell. But uh, online, particularly for the small and medium size, the craft brewers, craft cider, uh, smaller uh, wine uh, producers in Ontario, there's an opportunity to use the platforms created by Shopify, eBay, Amazon, and others um, to provide uh, consumers uh, choice uh, and give them an opportunity to, to level the playing field with the bigger uh, players with the larger marketing dollars and, uh, and access to the shelf space. That would be interesting to, to have the idea that you could go on eBay and be like, hmm, what do I want for drinks this weekend? I've got a bachelorette, or that's on my mind. I was at a bachelorette. Yeah, I, want a, I want an Anderson or a Toboggan or a Fork River, and uh, it's going to be a lot easier to find it there. Yeah, well, I know that there are some, uh, like currently, like you can put in a special order uh, f- from the LCBO or what have you, like if there's a certain kind of uh, like liqueur, say, for instance, that you can't get in Ontario, uh, just that's usually on the shelf because it's perhaps not that popular, but you have to go to the store and order it. In this case, you could just do it from the comfort of your home and then go pick it up. Uh, or have it delivered. Yeah. Which is a novel idea. <laughs> and uh, in terms of, you know, let's let's talk about the chamber's ideas for like the tax cuts uh, for some wine producers. And, uh, you know, like as we were saying, I mean, we have a big craft market here in in this neck of the woods. I mean, how is that uh, potentially going to help out with that? Well, uh, look at one of the inconsistencies that was created in the, the piecemeal work that's happened before um, Think about a craft cider maker and a craft brewer, 
and and today um, for the same size can of you know essentially five percent uh, alcohol, uh, the craft cider maker pays more in taxes than the craft brewer, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. So we want to see that um, see that harmonized, so we're not disadvantaging uh, our local producers. Both of them are sourcing their ingredients from Ontario farmers, they're hiring Ontario workers, they're selling largely in the Ontario market. Um, one shouldn't have a disadvantage over the other. When it comes to Ontario wines, you look at the United States and their domestic wine uh, growers go through a two tiers of taxation. Uh, here in Ontario, we give them three. Um, so we put ourselves at a, at a cost disadvantage unnecessarily, uh, and I think that's that's unfair to uh, the industry, unfair to the consumer. And quite frankly, if we can get a larger uh, share, uh, that's going to create uh, more jobs and, and more revenues at the end of the day. So it will benefit uh, our industry. And we're not talking just about the alcohol sales themselves. As you know, with the with the growth of craft festivals with the growth of destination tourism, lots of people heading to Prince Edward County or Niagara or other areas where they build in a whole experience around the winery or the craft brewery or the craft ciders uh, or a great pub scene in a, in a city like London. Uh, and this is an important tool that uh, regional economies have and should uh, be growing uh, in every part of Ontario. Yeah, very, very interesting. And let's also make sure that we touch upon this other uh, facet of the report, which is uh, looking at efforts to curb social harms. Uh, what does the chamber have in mind for that? Because there, that's that is a serious concern as we move forward with, uh, you know, changing how we run things with our uh, with with our system. Uh, the, the idea that we want to make sure that we're minimizing uh, potential harms. Hundred percent. I mean, our 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 members. Uh, live in our communities. We're, we're, we're your neighbors or your family. Uh, we want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so five of the 33 recommendations that we make in the report have to do with, you know, investments in, in public health, working with the public health officers with the Ontario Medical Association and other stakeholders to make sure we're getting out the appropriate, uh, messaging around responsible uh, drinking around the guidelines uh, to ensure that, uh, you know, we don't get the situation. Unfortunately, um, you know, there's been a spike among young women uh, in more reckless um, drinking, which is, which is truly, uh, truly unfortunate. And, you know, in part, that's been most of the, um, the focus uh, in terms of uh, in terms of warnings, have been an assumption that it'll be you know young men who will be reckless, and we have to follow the data, and that's another important part of the uh, the recommendations is um, to collect the data so we're making appropriate fact-based policy decisions. We want to do this. We want to do it responsibly, and uh, it's important that it be done that way so people. Enjoy it. We grow the economy, but we're responsible from a public health standpoint.
Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because we were just talking about that study uh, yesterday with the, the, the lead author of it. It's it's interesting to see the trends that are changing. Um, and part of that discussion and part of their study looks at um, the rise of uh, changes in how we view social drinking, craft beer, uh, and that more women are drinking in general as as perceptions of of that change and, and how women view alcohol and, and, and our consumption of it. So it's it's very interesting to see how, how things are evolving. And yeah, you're right. We need to look at, at data to make in good, informed decisions. 100% agreed. Well, Rocco, thank you so much for your time this afternoon in uh, you know chatting about the Chamber's report. And uh, we have that story on our website as well, 980cfpl.ca. If people want to uh, get more information about what the Chamber of Commerce for Ontario is uh, suggesting. Thank you very much. And if you want to read the whole report, occ.ca. Perfect. Rocco, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Great pleasure. Have a great one. You as well. Take care. So there you have it. Some suggestions from the Ontario Chamber of Commerce about how we can modernize our alcohol sales in the province responsibly, making sure that we're not, uh, you know, putting any anyone at any extra undue risk, if you will. Would be interesting. Would you like to buy your, <laughs> your weekend brews from eBay? or from Amazon, or what have you. I think it's interesting. The idea of it being delivered right to your house. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. It would be really convenient if you were planning like a really big party or something, because then you don't have to go to the LCBO and like load up your cart, schlep it all home. It's kind of kind of intense to do that. I wonder how many people would take advantage of that service. I feel like it would be very convenient. It'd be very interesting. So we'll see. Perhaps that happens down down the road. Who knows what uh, might come next? The uh, provincial government seems very interested <laughs> in alcohol sales in the province, as we have talked about for many months now, different changes that are happening. So we'll see what could happen next. We shall see. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about beverages, but not alcoholic beverages. No, Tim Hortons. And there are new lids that they're testing out. Do you like them? Do you hate them? Producer Matt McInnes is going to chat with me about these lids. Are you flipping your lids for lids? Who knows? Let's find out. That's coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL after the break. Welcome back to the program. We are down to like our last 10 minutes of the show. Again, it just flies by. Before the break, I kind of teed up that we were going to keep the beverage talk going, but in a different way. We're no longer talking about uh, alcoholic beverages. We're talking about a beloved Canadian institution, Tim Hortons. And they have apparently designed new lids for some of their beverages. So everyone's very familiar with like the flat lid, uh, which has a little, the peel up and classic the classic peel spout. And now there is a new one that's called a hybrid pucker and peel. So you peel it up and then I suppose you snap it into place, but it's it's almost like elevated. So it's, there's like a deck that you lift up for the lid. It's very interesting. I'm reading this on McLean's, their website. They have an article up about it. It's very interesting. Now, joining me to talk about this lid change and evolution of the lid <laughs> is Matt McInnes. He's my fantastic producer. Hey, Matt. Hello, hello. Now, you have an interesting perspective 
on the lid discussion because you yourself are intimately acquainted with Tim Horton's cups and lids. Tell us why. Yes, that's true. Um, actually, kind of as I was uh, leaving high school and throughout college, I worked at Tim Horton's. Ah. Um, so I was just a normal uh, team member, and then I kind of made my way up, did supervisor, and then I was an assistant manager Ooh. for quite some time. So I connect with this big time because um, I think this change is great because when you're in those morning rushes and you're trying to get through those drive through times and you're putting on lids, yeah. I don't know how many times I went through a cracked lid um, or a customer to return a cup with a with a, with the drip. And I think I'm, I'm looking at the article right now, and I guess people were calling it the double dribble under their fingers. Ooh. And I never heard that one before, but I did hear the complaints of people returning their cups or you would hand the cup out and you'd be busy and you wouldn't really be paying attention and it'd be leaking. And uh, yeah. it's time for a change. Very interesting. Yeah, because I'm looking at this. <laughs> This infographic that they have. I love the attention to detail here. So the new Pucker and Peel, which is a hybrid, says the most impressive element of the new lid is the double drip catching skirt. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it also has very cute. This is aesthetically pleasing. The maple leaf shape pressed into the deck of the lid provides room for the drinker's nose, depending on the nose. That's quite nice because you know what? Like, it's kind of funny when you go and take your sip of your normal coffee with its normal lid and get a little mark (laughs) on the the lid from your nose. If you have perhaps oily or combination skin. (laughs) You don't want that, right? You don't want that. And it looks good. It's very Tim Hortons, very Canadian, has a nice little maple leaf on it. Um, And I feel like the lid kind of steals some ideas from all the other coffee chains out there right now. I mean, like you don't see a coffee chain with like lids like Tim Hortons anymore, right? No. It's very much like a McDonald's kind of lid. Yeah. And Starbucks um, too. And Starbucks. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it was time to do it. A little outdated the last lid, but um, I think I think it will be good for them. It's interesting, yeah. Like their uh, their representative, who is quoted in this McLean's article, says they took more than two years to develop the new lid, conducting twelve research studies, serving over thirty million beverages, and working with thousands of guests to help us design it. Yeah. Hmm. Two. Yeah. Two years to d- design that. Uh. Yeah, it's intense. But I mean, like, I guess it it also makes sense because if you're going to make a change. And on the level that Tim Hortons has to make a change, True. I, I wouldn't want to mess it up. True. And they haven't had the best year so far, so they yeah. probably would be best if they make sure it's perfect, right? Yeah. They don't want to, they really don't want to mess it up. They say the result, the company says, is an improved lid that reduces both spills and Tim's carbon footprint by utilizing polypropylene, a 100% recyclable plastic that the company says every franchise will happily collect for recycling. Well, that's nice because there's some debate sometimes over whether the cups are recyclable or not. I feel like people that I've spoken with, they're like, are they recyclable? And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure they are. Uh, And then other people say that they don't think they are. So there's always some kind of debate. This is nice to hear that, in fact, it will be recyclable in this world where we are, uh, you know, ever Ever more aware of our carbon footprints. Of course. Yeah, definitely good. And then you won't have that dribble too, right? So that should be good for people. Yeah. Now, some people are (laughs) not on board with it. And I'm not entirely sure of of why they wouldn't necessarily like it. But I I wonder, is this a a matter of we as as humans don't enjoy change in general? So we're like, oh. That's what I was thinking too, right? And um, older generations or something, maybe they're stuck in their ways. You know yeah. what I mean? They're, they're regulars at Tim Hortons. They go there every morning. They don't want a different lid. They like the lid they got. That's why they go to Tim Hortons maybe, right? Yeah. Um, but I think for the most of everyone, and 
I definitely sympathize with the people working. Yeah. So I know what it's like. So I, I think it will do good, but um, I could definitely see why some people might not like the change if they're uh, yeah. kind of stuck in their ways, right? I'm looking at, at the article and it's, it's saying that um, the Lids premiere kind of overlapped with the prime minister's announcement of the upcoming single-use plastic ban. So it seems like it is uh, perhaps more environmentally based, the concerns, um, and that it's, you know, Greenpeace is, is quoted here, Greenpeace Canada. Um, and like because they're saying it's theoretically recyclable, it does not mean that it will be recycled. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I feel like I, I feel like I've seen the new lid out maybe like a while ago. Maybe they were testing it out. Yeah, it could be. And then it kind of went away. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they were doing a test market somewhere and with the lids. So that could be I it. feel like I've seen it before, but yeah. maybe not. They're saying that uh, they would have liked to see a mug share program, which is honestly like that happens now right now. I know of lots of people who bring their own mugs in, like reusable ones, travel oh, yeah. ones to yeah. to have it um to have it be be used yeah, so, yeah. which is good if you can do it so yeah. you know it's just not always convenient but then again we should all be making more of an effort i suppose yes so, that yeah. is true that is true it is true well matthew mcginnis thank you for your time and your insight as a former tim hortons employee i'm glad i could offer some of my knowledge <laughs> over <laughs> i was very excited when i found out that you used to work there it was great yeah so, awesome yeah. good times absolutely we need to take a quick break we'll be right back on london live after this Welcome back. That's the end of the show. Oof, another busy one. Thanks to all of my guests who were on talking about the hot topics of the day. And again, uh, thank you to Andrew Graham, reporter extraordinaire, who was out at the announcement this morning uh, with the premiere out in Lucan. Thanks to Matt McInnes, uh, producer extraordinaire, <laughs> for not only keeping the show on the rails, but also chatting with me about the new Tim Hortons lids. That's it from us. We'll see you tomorrow on 980 CFPL.